history of the bands. Welcome, welcome, welcome to History of the Bands. I am your host, the human Google machine, Brandon with us. How is everybody? Ice is doing good. And, like, we're ready to do the next episode. So, you know, we're going to be discussing the band Weezer on this one. So, they were formed in Los Angeles, California in 1992. The band has been nominated for five Grammys, winning one of them. This four-man band has been a mainstay in the rock scene, not caring about what people think about them. And I'm just really excited about giving you guys some info on them, so let's just jump right in. Class is in session. As always, let's discuss the band members. First, let's talk about the singer and guitarist, Rivers Cuomo, born on June 13, 1970, in New York City to Frank Cuomo and Beverly Schoenberg. His father is of Italian descent, and his mother is of German and English descent. He was born with one leg shorter than the other. I believe it was like his right leg. Rivers was raised in Rochester, New York, until his father stepped out on the family in 1975. His mother then relocated the family to Yogaville, Virginia. Rivers attended the Pomfret Community School, and his mother married Stephen Kitts. And in 1980, the Kitts family moved to Mansfield area. During this time, Rivers attended Mansfield Middle School and E.O. Smith High School. Rivers was a member of the high school choir and he performed in the school production of Grease as Johnny Casino. He also changed his name to Peter Kitts, but after graduating, he changed it back to his original name. One of Rivers' earliest music projects was the glam metal band Avant Grande, or Granda. I can't pronounce it, guys. <laughs> In 1989, after playing several shows in Connecticut, that band I can't name moved to Los Angeles and changed their name to Zoom. That's easier to say now. But the band ended up breaking up in 1990. During this time, Rivers attended Santa Monica College. In 1990 and in 1991, while Rivers was writing material for what would become Weezer's debut album, he was a roadie for the band King Size and worked at Tower Records, where he basically just listened to everything that was out at that time. 
Let's stop here, though, and I'll come back to this in just a little bit. You know, I got to go through the other members first. On to the drummer, Patrick Wilson. He was born Patrick George Wilson on February 1st, 1969 in Buffalo, New York. He was raised in a nearby Clarence area. He was introduced to music very early on in his life. His first album he owned was actually a Barry Manilow album, which was the 1976 album, This One's For You. Shortly after his 15th birthday, he went to his first concert seeing Van Halen. As a result, he was inspired to start taking drum lessons. By his senior year at Clarence High School, Patrick and a friend, Greg, started teaching the instrument eventually and amassing over like 30 students. After graduating from high school in 1987, Patrick attended a local college but dropped out after one semester. He grew tired of the local music scene and because of his friend Patrick Finn, Patrick moved to Los Angeles at the age of 21. Shortly after arriving in Los Angeles, he joined a short-lived band named Bush, not the Gavin Rosedale's Bush. While in this so-called Bush, Patrick met Matt Sharp, with whom he developed a friendship. Eventually, by the spring of 1991, Wilson started a band with Patrick Finn and later Jason Cropper called 60 Wrong Sausages. So he was in a lot of groups during this time. So let's stop here. We'll pick back up in just a moment. Now on to the lead guitarist slash backing vocals, singer slash keyboardist slash you name it. He's done it all. <laughs> and that is Brian Bell. Born Brian Lane Bell on December 9th, 1968 in Iowa City, Iowa. His parents is Tom Bell, a geographic professor at University of Tennessee, and Linda, an elementary assistant principal. He was raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. He first took on an interest in music at the age of four when his parents took him to see Elvis Presley at the Stokely Athletic Center in Knoxville. While Brian became obsessed with his dad's record collection, and played it constantly, Brian was forced by his mother to take piano lessons and she refused to let him take guitar lessons until high school because she wouldn't believe that he would practice, is her excuse there. Eventually, during his freshman year in high school, Brian's parents allowed him to take the guitar lessons from Knoxville musician Ben Bolt. During his first year in high school, Brian had switched schools, and in his words, he said, I was zoned to go to a county school, and my mom taught in a city school, which meant I could go to a more privileged school. In doing that, I was surrounded by snobs. I was kind of finding myself at the time, so I decided to go to the school I was zoned for. So during that time, Brian had a job delivering pizzas in the Knoxville area at Stefano's Pizza. He worked and started playing in a band with school friends, Tim and Glenn Maloof. <laughs> Maloof. What kind of name is that? 
Anyways, they was named Blue Shroom, which Brian said it was like a Pink Floyd meets the Stooges. After completing high school at Bearded High School in 1987, Brian decided against college, feeling it would be a waste of money. At the age of 18, Brian moved to Los Angeles, California and enrolled in GIT. In 1991, he became a member of the band Carnival Art, which released three official albums, with Brian playing bass guitar. The band had low record sales and were dropped from their record label. And now, on to the final member here, the bassist, Scott Schreiner. Born Scott Gardner Schreiner on July 11, 1965, in Toledo, Ohio. There's really not a lot about his childhood, but he picked up the bass guitar in high school. And then after high school, he joined the Marine Corps. But then after being discharged, he found his high school bass teacher, Mark Kesswetter. That's, a, <laughs> that's another weird name. Um, anyways, with whom he would end up studying with. While in Toledo, Scott and his best friend Rob Weaver started a band called The Seventh Wave. Scott went on to play with several Toledo bands like The Movers, The Fever, the Teresa Harris Band, and Love by Millions. He then finished his Toledo music scene with the band called The Great Barbecue Gods. Scott moved to Los Angeles, California in 1989 at the age of 25 and he attended Musicians Institute and went on to play in several bands like Broken, Bomber, Black Elvis, Mystery Train, Electric Love Hogs, Crowned, and most notably Vanilla Ice Backup Band in support of the rapper's new metal album Hard to Swallow. <laughs> like really? <laughs> Look, he remade his song, Ice Ice Baby, and made it into this new metal sound, and I'm going to be honest with you, I actually kind of dig it. It's pretty cool. To list the past members, we have Jason Cropper, Matt Sharp, and Mikey Welsh. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, everyone. Have you ever felt just down and out, depressed, like you need somebody? I've been there before. And when I was like that, I wish I knew about BetterHelp. Now, BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel like doing it. You can do it via text message, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever is convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, 
you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from an in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling, flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash history of the bands. That is better h e l p dot com slash history of the bands. So after that, you know, Avant Grande slash uh, Zoom disbanded, Rivers met drummer Patrick and moved in with him, and Chapman quit after a few early shows. Well, then the band changed things up and did that thing called a reset. They changed their name to 60 Wrong Sausages with Rivers' friend Pat Finn on bass and Jason Cropper on guitar. But then that fell apart pretty quick. Then Rivers moved to Santa Monica, California and recorded dozens of demos, including a couple of future Weezer songs. Sharp was hyped about the demos and became the group's bassist and manager. So Rivers, Patrick, Sharp, and Jason formed Weezer on February 14, 1992. Their first show was on March 19, 1992, closing for Keanu Reeves' band, Dog Star. Like, what? Wait, what? What? Keanu Reeves was in a band? I mean, I knew about the Wild Stallions, but that's, you know, Bill and Ted. Like, what? I'm just, I'm, I'm, what? I'm now going to have to go look up Dog Star, guys. <laughs> but before... I do that. Let's get back onto Weezer. They took their name from a nickname Rivers' dad gave him. Rivers gave Sharp one year to get the band a record deal before Rivers accepted a scholarship to the University of California in Berkeley. In November, Weezer recorded a demo called The Kitchen Tape. The demo was heard by Todd Sullivan, an A&R man who was looking for an alternative rock band to put on the same bill as that dog. Well, this Todd fellow was a rep for Geffen Records who signed Weezer to DGC Records on June 26, 1993. So by August, they hit the studio to work on their first album called Weezer, but it is known as the Blue Album. It was released by DGC and produced by Rick Oskasek. Oskasek. <laughs> Rick Weird Name. Well, while getting ready for the studio sessions, Weezer focused on their vocal interplay by practicing barbershop quartet style songs, which helped Rivers and Sharp feel more comfortable collaborating during rehearsals. Weezer rehearsed 15 songs in New York before going to the Electric Lady Studios to record. Weezer considered self-producing the album, but Geffen was like, nah, you need to choose a producer. So they decided on Rick Weird name. Rick convinced the band to switch their guitar pickups from the neck to the bridge, resulting in a brighter sound. Sharp and Rivers laid down several rules on recording banning reverbs and insisting on all downstrokes on guitar. 
During all of this, Jason learned that his girlfriend was pregnant and began acting erratically. It was said he wasn't handling it very well. He was always, you know, he always said he was fine, but then 20 minutes later, he'd be up on the roof of the electric lady screaming or something, going like, God, why? Why, God? Why? Okay, I'm going to have to get myself into shape here. <laughs> anyway, so Rivers told Jason that he could not allow him to jeopardize the work and asked him to leave. Like, he's like, hey, dude, you know, you're not going to jeopardize this album for me. I worked really hard for this. You're leaving the band. No. <laughs> anyway, so he ended up replacing Jason with Brian Bell. While Brian's vocal appeared on some tracks, Rivers re-recorded all of Jason's guitar parts. Brian is still credited for playing the guitar in the liner notes. The track list is My Name is Jonas, No One Else, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, Buddy Holly, Undone, The Sweater Song, Surf Wax America, Say It Ain't So, In the Garage, Holiday, and only in dreams for a total length of 41 minutes and 25 seconds. The album peaked at number 16 on the billboards and went gold in seven months and now three times platinum. This is another debut album that all critics love. Five stars across the boards. Pitchfork said it was the geeky humor, dense culture reference, and positively hooks. Also, according to Rolling Stones, it ranked at number 294 on the top 500 greatest albums of all time. What a great debut album. Well, in 1994, Weezer took a break from touring for the Christmas holidays. Rivers traveled back to his home state of Connecticut and began recording demos for Weezer's next album. His original concept was a science fiction rock opera that expressed his mixed feelings about success. In April of 1995, Rivers had extensive leg surgery to kind of like stretch his right leg out and then did eight and a half weeks of painful therapy sessions. This affected his songwriting as he would spend long periods hospitalized, unable to walk without the use of a cane and then under the influence of painkillers. But during this time period, Rivers applied to study classical composition at Harvard University with an application letter describing his disappointment with the rock lifestyle. He said, and I quote, you will meet 200 people every night, but each conversation will generally last approximately 30 seconds. Then you will be alone again in your motel room or you will be on your bus in your little space trying to kill the nine hours it takes to get to the next city, whichever city that is." Unquote. River felt limited by rock music. Every night after performing with Weezer, he listened to that 1904 opera Madame Butterfly, the depth of emotion and sadness and tragedy inspired him to go further with his music. By May of 1996, Rivers' songwriting had become darker, more emotional and exposed, basically less playful. And his space concept was left behind. So Weezer's second album would instead feature songs written while River was at Harvard, 
putting on paper his loneliness and frustration, or what Rivers referred to as his dark side. The second album is Pinkerton, released September 24, 1996 by DGC and produced by Weezer themselves. So how it all went down was in 1995, a few days before Rivers left to study at Harvard, Weezer spent two weeks at the studio where they had recorded their demo album and made a few songs. Weezer was hoping to explore a deeper, darker, more experimental type of stuff and better capture their live sound. They decided against hiring a producer saying that they felt like it was the best for them to record on their own so that they can sound like themselves. To give the album a live, raw feel, Rivers, Brian, and Sharp recorded their vocals in tandem around three microphones rather than overdubbing them separately. While Rivers was at Harvard, other Weezer members worked on side projects. In January of 1996, during Rivers' winter break, the band regrouped for a two-week session to complete the sound they had worked on in August. But after doing a couple of songs, they separated again while Rivers went back to school. Now, during Rivers' 1996 spring break, the band once again regrouped and recorded three songs before Rivers went back to Hogwarts. Oops, I'm sorry. I mean, Harvard. <laughs> well, he went back for his finals. The track list is Tired of Sex, Get You, No Other One, Why Bother, Across the Sea, The Good Life, El Scorcho, Pink Triangle, Falling for You and Butterfly for a total length of 34 minutes and 36 seconds. The album debuted at number 19 on the billboards. It sold 47,000 copies in the first week, falling far short of Weezer's previous album. The album did go platinum. As Pinkerton was not meeting sales expectations, the band was pressured to make another music video for the liking of MTV, the music video for The Good Life, which stars Mary Lynn as the pizza delivery girl, Geffen rushed released the video to try to save the album, but it was not successful. The initial reviews were mixed. One critic said the songs are often very sloppy and awkward, but express a genuine desperate search for sex and love. Some critics said the songwriting was juvenile and said the album was very raw. The day before the album was to be released, a restraining order was issued by California security firm Pinkerton Inc. The company sued Weezer and Geffen for alleged federal trademark infringement, claiming that they were trying to capitalize on the company's reputation. Under the terms of the restraining order, which had Pinkerton Inc. searching $2 million in damages, Weezer would be kept from selling, distributing, and advertising an album under the name Pinkerton. Geffen spokesman Dennis defended the title, arguing that it was a reference to Madame Butterfly and not aimed at any sort of corporate entities. Rivers wrote a six-page paper explaining why he chose the title and why he felt it was essential. The case was thrown out of the court after the judge determined that the hardships of not issuing the Pinkerton disc would be greater for Geffen than any hardships Pinkerton Inc. or its shareholders might incur from consumers who mistakenly presumed the company had anything to do with the album. 
That was a mouthful. <laughs> in October of 1996, Weezer toured the Far East with concerts appearance in Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. Afterwards, they flew home to Los Angeles. On November 1st, Weezer began a tour of North America in Venture, California. Weezer continued to tour until mid-1997. The tour was postponed when sisters Michael, Carly, and Trista Allen died in a car accident while driving home from a Weezer show in Denver, Colorado. Michael and Carly ran Weezer's fan club and helped manage publicity for several other Los Angeles bands and had inspired a couple of the songs. The band canceled a show to attend their funerals. In August, Weezer and other bands held a benefit concert for their family in Los Angeles, which shows just how straight up this band really is. You know, they were like, hey, no more shows. We're going to these funerals. And then after the funerals, they were like, hey, let's do a benefit concert, donate the money to the families. That just shows that they are really good people. It just shows that they cared, and that means a lot from a fan's perspective. The band went on a hiatus. Patrick returned to his home in Portland to work on his side project, The Special Goodness, and Brian worked on his band, Space Twins. In 1998, Sharp left the band due to differences with other band members. He said this to the public, and I quote, I certainly have my view of it, as I'm sure everybody else has their sort of foggy things. When you have a group that doesn't communicate, you're going to have a whole lot of different stories." Unquote. Rivers went back to Harvard, but took a break to focus on songwriting. He formed a new band composed of a changing lineup of Boston musicians. In February of 1998, Rivers, Brian, and Patrick reunited in Los Angeles to start work on their next Weezer album. The group hired Mikey Welsh. Weezer continued rehearsing and recording demos until late 1998. Frustration and creative disagreements led to rehearsals slowing down, and in November of 1998, the band played two club shows with a substitute drummer in California under the name Goat Punishment, consisting entirely of covers of Nirvana and Oasis songs. Rivers started going through a period of depression, unplugging his phone, painting the walls of his home black, and putting fiberglass installation over his windows to prevent light from entering. All of this seems like overkill, though, doesn't it? Kind of seems overkill. Eventually, during this time, Rivers started experimenting with his music and ended up writing 121 songs by 1999. Weezer reunited in April of 2000 when they accepted a very juicy offer to perform at the Fuji Rock Festival. April to May of 2000, they rehearsed and demoed new songs in Los Angeles. They returned to the live shows in June of 2000, playing small, unpromoted concerts once again under the name Goat Punishment. In the summer of 2000, Weezer went on tour, including Dates, Vans Warped Show, and eventually the band went back to the studio to produce a third album. Thank God. <laughs> the third album is self-titled, but known as The Green Album released May 15th, 2001 by Geffen Records and produced by Rick Weird Name again. So, 
On October 23, 2000, Rivers announced that Weezer would start recording new material with or without a producer. But the band's recording label said, you know you need a producer due to the band's commercial failure of their last album called Pinkerton. The band began rehearsing and arranging both the summer songs of 2000 and the newer material Rivers had written at his home. So after the mixed reception of Pinkerton, Rivers wrote simpler songs and less personal lyrics. Recording sessions began in early December with Rick providing feedback by telephone. On December 27th, the band spent roughly close to like six weeks at the studio playing songs repetitively in order to track the bass and drum parts. They also did scratch takes of the vocals and guitars. While recording the album, the band continued to perform gigs under the weird name Goat Punishment. During the recording sessions, an executive of the band's label, Geffen Records, visited to observe the band's progress and express his dissatisfaction with several tracks. The track list is Don't Let Go, Photograph, Hashpipe, Island in the Sun, Crab, Knock Down Drag Out, Smile, Simple Pages, Glorious Day, and Oh Girlfriend, for a total length of 28 minutes and 22 seconds. The album debuted at number four on the Billboard, selling 215,000 copies in the first week and went platinum. The album was met with good reviews. Rolling Stones writer Rob Sheffield wrote that the band had a totally crunk geek punk record, buzzing through 10 excellent tunes in less than half an hour with zero fillers. A lot of the critics enjoyed this album more than Pinkerton, which, you know, rightfully so. The song Island in the Sun had two music videos. The first one included all members at a wedding, but MTV disliked it. The second video, of course, was different, but Mikey was unable to do the video. So after suffering a mental like breakdown from the stress of touring and having an undiagnosed bipolar disorder and drug abuse, Mikey attempted suicide and left the band in 2001. So the video was redone, but with animals playing the instruments. The band replaced Mikey with Scott during all of this to keep going. <laughs> So the band finished touring and was ready to make their fourth album. Weezer attempted to incorporate an innovative system in which the group would release demos in MP3 format on the band's website every day while in the studio working on their fourth album called, and I might screw this up, Maladroit, which was released on May 14, 2002 by Geffen Records and produced by Weezer themselves. Which, y'all remember the last time Weezer produced an album and stuff, you know, it, it was Pinkerton and it didn't do too good. So since they was releasing demos, this resulted in dozens of different versions of over like 30 different songs circulating on the internet before the album was released. The idea was to keep communication open with the band's fan base on the group's official message board, yet Rivers and the fans strongly disagreed on a number of creative aspects of the album. Regardless of disagreements, Weezer's fans are still special thanked in the album liner note, and the album's title itself was suggested by a board member, 
of the Weezer's message board. The band's uploading of MP3 demos onto the website resulted in some radio stations playing the still unreleased songs. Also due to a spat between Rivers and Geffen, Weezer self-funded the recording of the album and the label was unaware of the recordings until the radio began playing them. It is said that Rivers was so excited for the fans to hear the music, he personally mailed copies of eight of the 13 songs on the album to key radio stations and press outlets. In the weeks it was leaked to the radio stations, the lead single reached number 25 on the Billboard's Modern Rock charts without an official single having been issued from Geffen. The airplay resulted in Weezer making a gag order being issued by Geffen Records. This made Geffen very mad, and they requested that Weezer return the master tapes from the album session and apologize to each radio station that played the song. The band members resisted, saying that they had funded all of the sessions themselves and that apologizing seemed pointless. The fans resisted as well, forming an online group called Unreleased Weezer for the Masses that rallied for the release of the album. So the band was trying to do what rock and roll is, and that is to stick it to the man and rebel. The track list is American Gigolo, Dope Noise, Keep Fishing, Take Control, Death and Destruction, Slob, Burnt Jam, Space Rock, Slave, Fall Together, Possibilities, Love Explosion, and December, for a total length of 33 minutes and 40 seconds. The album peaked at number three on the billboards and went gold, which was a first for them not getting a platinum status. It got good reviews like the last album. Pop Matters gave the album an eight out of 10 saying, the album keeps it short, keeps it simple, and keeps it honest. But also importantly, they keep it coming. There was some not well-liked reviews saying that the album sounded like a cover band of Weezer. To rewind a little bit here, in April of 2002, former bassist Sharp sued the band, saying that he was owed money for co-writing several Weezer songs. But the suit was later settled out of court. Now, to move on, I really like the music video, Keep Fishing. It combined Weezer and the Muppets. It was just really a silly video. Well, the tour was successful, and it wasn't long before Rivers was ready to make another album. They began working on demos in 2002 and early 2003. After touring during the summer and returning to the studios for an additional session, the band ultimately decided to start from scratch with a fresh group of songs. During the recording process, Rivers' discovery of meditation due to the influence of producer Rick Rubin which we all love Ruben. I'm just going to say it now, good old Ruben is the best. <laughs> uh, anyways, due to Ruben, it was beginning to take on a great influence on the album's content. So the fifth album is Make Believe, released on May 10th, 2005 by Geffen Records and produced by good old Rick Ruben. Like I said, he's the best. Make Believe marks the return of Rivers' more personal songwriting style after taking on a more distant approach on the previous two albums. 
As the band was working on the album, a deal was struck to have one of the new songs be included in the film Shrek 2. But this deal was scrapped from the makers of the film because they didn't think it was going to fit to the movie. Hundreds of songs were demoed during the three-year period of making the album. Despite the abundance of releasable material, this album did not feature any B-side releases. Which, deciding on a name for the album, one of the title suggestions given by Patrick Wilson was 1,000 Soviet Children Marching Towards the Sun. That's a weird one. <laughs> Another suggestion was Either Way I'm Fine. Something Rivers often said during, you know, like the sessions, changing elements and like, you know, song, all that stuff. You know, he, he'd be like, hey, you know, this is what I want. This is what you do. Either way, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, we all do something similar to that. I always say it is what it is. But they decided on make believe. The track list is Beverly Hills, Perfect Situation, This Is Such a Pity, Hold Me, Peace, We Are All on Drugs, The Damage in Your Heart. Pardon Me, My Best Friend, The Other Way, Freak Me Out, and Haunt You Every Day. For a total length of 45 minutes and 9 seconds, the album debuted at number 2 on the Billboard, selling 193,000 copies in the first week and went platinum. I absolutely love Perfect Situation, which reached number 1 on the Billboards. I know my son loves Beverly Hills, but I love some of the songs and the meanings behind them. The Other Way was written about River's ex-girlfriend Jennifer after her then-boyfriend singer-songwriter Elliot Smith died of suicide. Rivers said he wanted to console her, but he was confused and skeptical about his own motives for wanting to do so, so he wrote a song that was about it. Another one in early in the recording process, Reuben told Rivers to write a Billy Joel slash Elton John type of song. The result of Ruben's request was Haunt You Every Day, which was the first that Rivers wrote entirely on piano, and according to Rivers, Ruben had made the same request of Tom Petty. So, a cool fact there. Make Believe did receive mixed reviews. Some said it was like the band's early release Pinkerton in terms of songwriting and sound and initial critical reaction, but another critic said... The Weezer You've Been Missing is back. It was back and forth on reviews, but the Make Believe Tour also found the band using additional instruments on stage. The band decided to take a break. Rivers returned to Harvard, where he ended up graduating in 2006. Rivers also married Kyoko Ito on June 18, 2006, a woman he had known since March of 1997. The wedding was attended by current members of the band as well as Matt Sharp and Jason Cropper. During this break, Patrick and Brian appeared in the 2006 movie called Factory Girl playing John Kell and Lou Reed respectively and contributing a cover of Velvet Underground song Heroin for the film. During this time, Brian started a new project called The Relationship while Patrick started working on material for the next Special Goodness album. He also had a second child, Ian Patrick Wilson, with his wife in early of 2008. But that's a little of a jump ahead there. Back to July of 2007, the band started doing demos and sessions together for their sixth album. The sixth album is Weezer, but known as the Red Album. 
Released June 3rd, 2008 by DGC and produced by good old Rick Rubin. And a guy named Jackknife Lee. Like, what? That's an awesome name. <laughs> Jackknife Lee. It's like Bruce Lee mixed with Kevin Nash's finishing move in WCW. The Jackknife Lee. You don't want to mess with that guy. He'll jackknife you, and then he'll kick you like Bruce Lee. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, at the beginning of the album's creation, each Weezer member asked themselves what they wanted to get out of the album. With that in mind, they set out to record, and recording was done in three sessions. Half of the album was recorded during the spring of 2007 with Rick Rubin overseeing production. The second session started in July and finished on October 18th and was produced by Weezer themselves. And the third and final sessions of recording was done at the request of Geffen Records, who claimed that there was not enough commercial material on the album. This session was produced by Jack Knife Lee. Jack Knife Lee. I'm sorry. Anyway, and completed on March 2008. In the first podcast released on Rivers Podcast, Rivers mentioned playing drums on two songs on the album. In an interview with Pitchfork, Rivers stated the album would contain longer songs, non-traditional song forms, different people writing and singing, instrument switching, TR-808s, synthesizers, southern rap, and and counterpoint what like what i don't know what half of that meant <laughs> anyway the majority of the album's content was written by rivers but like i said for the first time since their debut album other members of the band contribute to songwriting as well rivers clearly strive to write less traditionally structured songs and breaking away from the verses chorus verses chorus bridge structure that was present on past albums. Much of the album's subject matter is rooted to past experiences and nostalgia. The track list is Troublemaker, The Greatest Man That Ever Lived, Pork and Beans, Heart Songs, Everybody Get Dangerous, Dreamin', Thought I Knew, Cold Dark World, Automatic, and The Angel and the One, for a total length of 41 minutes and 23 seconds. The Red Album debuted at number 4 on the billboards with 126,000 copies sold in the first week. So what blows my mind is the album did not go gold or platinum. Like seriously? Pork and Beans won a freaking Grammy for best video and was highly praised by critics. And they didn't win any kind of gold status or platinum status? Like they were still doing that at that time frame. Just blows my mind. One critic wrote the album is among the band's most experimental. They also wrote the experiments paid off and reflects Weezer's desire to constantly attempt new things as well as their refusal to fall back on their past success as a crutch. Another critic said, a cheerful, relentless record, one where all of the parts don't fit and it's better because of it as it had a wild, willingly personality suggested that Weezer is comfortable as a band in a way they never quite have been before. It's just so odd to me. Something else that was cool was on May 30th, 2008, Scott said that Weezer will be doing a Hootenanny tour. 
in which fans would be invited to bring their own instruments and play along with the band. Scott also said they can bring whatever they want, keyboards, drums, violins, and play the songs with us as opposed to us performing for them. Now, I have never heard of a band doing that, so that is really cool to me. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I'm going to have to break it up into two parts uh, because, man, we just barely scratched the surface here, and we still got another, like, like 12 years to go over. So, as always, you know, stay tuned for part two. In the meantime, head over to my Instagram and TikTok at History of the Bands. You could watch some of my videos on TikTok, you know, you know, like, share, and all that kind of stuff. Follow me. And on Instagram, you can go to my link tree and buy a shirt or get yourself some better help. So all I got left to say is class dismissed. History of the Bands.